Hey, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody's awake. Can we give it up one more time for the worship team? I thought they did such, such an awesome job They're, uh, leading us into the presence of God this morning. Uh, this morning, actually, Pastor Mike's away, as you can tell. Uh, he, Pastor Lisa, Pastor Drew, and a, a couple others from the church are actually in the country of Columbia, and they're leading a college of prayer right now. Uh, so be mindful and prayerful for them. Uh, but I'm excited because I get a chance to speak with you guys this morning and spend some time with you. So good times. Uh, Pastor Mike's been leading us through this uh, sermon series called Finding Home. And we've been uh, journeying through the book of Hebrews together. And so far we've looked through chapters 1 all the way through chapter 7. Um, and one of the things that's been going on through the book of Hebrews we constantly see is that the writer is talking to uh, the church, and the church has been going through difficulties. There's been lots of persecution that's been happening, uh, and there's been some people that have actually walked away from their faith. Uh, some Christians have walked away from Christianity, and some of them then have come back, and then there's been those that have remained faithful and have actually stayed in the church. And so there's a lot of conflict going on. Uh, there's a lot of difficulties that's happening with the church uh, that the writer's talking about, and there's this one theme that we constantly see happening through the book of Hebrews, and that is that no matter what's going on, no matter what difficulties, trials are happening, uh, there's this idea that uh, the writer keeps saying that we need to fix our eyes in Jesus, that when other things are bad, whenever things are difficult, we need to keep our eyes on him. Uh, So this morning, I wanted us to uh, open up God's word together, and if you guys have your worship folders this morning, If you could take them out, I'm going to be uh, reading from uh, Hebrews 8, and we're going to read the whole chapter. And because Pastor Mike isn't here and we miss him, I'm going to ask for you guys to uh, read it with me together, all right? So let's read God's Word. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent... He was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is the enact of better promises. For it is the first covenant that has been faultless. There would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach 
each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This morning, would you, uh, would you pray with me? Father, we uh, come before you, and uh, Lord, we thank you for how your presence has been with us already in this place, uh, and there's just, it's just so tangible, and there's this nearness of your presence this morning, and so Father, we want to press into that this morning. Uh, we pray, and we thank you for the reading of your word, and we ask that it would speak new life, and that would bring forth uh, new words for us this morning. And we ask that uh, Jesus, Jesus would be heard this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sounds like you guys are awake this morning. That's good. All right. So what I believe this text is trying to say is that Jesus came to put an end to religion to establish a new covenant uh, and a new covenantal relationship that we get to be a part of by embracing Jesus in our lives. Amen? All right. Good. Uh, Now, the first thing I want to look at here is... Uh, first point I'm trying to make is that Jesus came to put an end to religion. And if we look at the text we were just reading, this is uh, Hebrews 1 and 2. It says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Now, whenever the writer says that, that means it's important and we should be listening. And what the writer is talking about here is that for over the past seven chapters, that this is the main point in what he's been trying to communicate to us. Uh, and he says, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Uh, And what's going on here is we see this idea that uh, Jesus has a place of authority, that he is seated uh, in the heavenly realm, and uh, that he's an eternal God. You know, he's an eternal priest. Now, before we even look deeper into this passage, I want us to understand this idea of identifying religion. I think it's important, and we need to understand it. Uh, If you were to, I know everybody Googles today, and there's a lot of Googling that happens, but if you were to Google religion, there would be a ton of different definitions that would come up. Uh, But what I want to do is I I want us to focus, I think, on a couple of the main components and parts that make up uh, religion. And the first is that there's this idea that there's an ultimate reality, that there's some kind of transcendent power, that there's this God or deity. We see this in every religion, that there's uh, some kind of God or deity. And then the second part is that there's a void or a gap, uh, and people are trying to bridge this void or gap. They're trying to reach this deity. They're trying to reach this God. And uh, many times we see this through tons of different religious practices throughout the world, whether it's people that pray and fast or do incantations or all sorts of religious rules and and duties that they practice. It's all an idea that they are trying to uh, mediate this gap that we're talking about. They're trying to mediate this gap so that they can have some kind of connection with this deity or God. Now, what makes Christianity so unique and so different from every religion Uh, is that Jesus doesn't come to start a new religion. He doesn't come to prolong religion or have a different angle on religion, but this idea that he comes to bring an end to religion. Uh, And if we look more in depth at, uh, again, going back to the verses 1 and 2, 
we see this idea, and Pastor Mike was talking about this last week, that Jesus is the priest king, that he's not only priest, but he's also king. And what's so unique about this is that throughout all the scriptures, we only see this one time. Again, we were talking about this last week uh, with Melchizedek. Uh, He's the only one that's a priest and a king. But besides that, nowhere else, you know, in the Bible, when we look at the scriptures in the Old Testament, do we see a priest and a king uh, like Jesus is? And uh, that's important, and there's a specific reason for that. Um, A king represents God to the people, all right? God, his you know, the king's role is to bring about God's laws and bring them forth and to enforce them with the people. And we see this in the Old Testament. Uh, but then also this idea that Jesus is a priest. And in the Old Testament, we see that priests came and a priest represented the people to God. They were the one that would make the sacrifices. They were the ones that would atone for the people or try to atone for the people before God so that they could be set free uh, into having a right covenant with God. You guys tracking with me? All right. Sounds good. All right. So moving on, looking a little deeper at this, uh, Jesus as a king means that he is the ultimate reality. We're talking about this idea of religion, but we realize that Jesus is not only man, but we know that he is also 100% God. And so he's the ultimate reality. He's the one on the other side of the gap that we're trying to connect to. Um, We look here uh, at Hebrews 1. 1, 3, in the beginning of Hebrews, going back, uh, we see that he says, the, the writer of Hebrews says, it is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All right, guys, what's so amazing about this is it's saying that, you know, even during the Old Testament, that Jesus was present with the glory of God in the tent and in the tabernacle. And then when we look at John eighteen thirty seven, it says, Uh, This is Jesus, and he's standing before Pilate, you know, before his death. And it says, uh, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so here we see that Jesus is acknowledging that he is actually the supreme being, that he is actually God, and that he is an eternal uh, God. That's right. I got amen over there. Amen. All right. And then going looking deeper at this idea that Jesus as a priest, that uh, he's become a bridge over the gap. You know, through Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection, uh, it is totally finished. All religious work for you and I, has been completely paid for. You know, the last words that Jesus even says when he's on the cross is he said, it is finished. And we know the translation of that means that it's been paid for and it's been paid for in full. And so what's so important for us to understand about this is that this idea that not only is Jesus the the supreme reality, not only is he God, but also he's the one that bridges the gap. He's the one that made the payment to pay all payments for all of eternity. And we see this word here that he's seated, and so we know that all religious work is done. Uh, and when we look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, as I was studying this, this text and this passage, uh, I found this, and I just thought it was so amazing and so powerful. Uh, and it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, 
by seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, what's so amazing about this is it's not only saying that Jesus is seated uh, in heaven, but it's also saying that if we have relationship, if we have intimacy with God, that now you and I as Christians, as believers, that we both have relationship, we both are seated with Christ in heaven too. It's not just Jesus that's seated, but you and I already have a place in heaven that we've been seated with Jesus. That's a pretty amazing truth, amen? All right, good. Some people are listening this morning. Uh, I wanted to, to look at this, uh, we'll go to this next slide here, and there's this man named uh, Dick Lucas, and he was a preacher in England in the mid-1900s, and he tries to sum up the entire book of Hebrews. Uh, and he does this through coming up with this imaginary, this fictional conversation between uh, a first century Christian and a Roman citizen that's a pagan. All right? And so this is how the conversation goes. Ah, the neighbor says, I hear you are religious. Great. Religion is a good thing. Where is your temple or holy place? Oh, we don't have a temple, replies the Christian, Jesus is our temple. No temple, but where do your priests work and do their ritual? We don't have priests to mediate the presence of God, replies the Christian. Jesus is our priest. No priests, but where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? We don't need a sacrifice, replies the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. What kind of religion is this, sputters the pagan neighbor. And the answer is, it's no kind of religion at all. You know, Jesus came to give us relationship, and he was the final priest to end all priests. He was the final king to end all kings, and he's the final sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Um, now, a really cheesy kind of corny illustration, or just more of a picture, actually, uh, is looking at this idea as it's, you know, I talked about how Jesus is you know, he's eternally God and an eternal priest, or eternal king and a priest. And how many of you here have to drive over the Tappan Zee Bridge on a regular basis? Anybody has to do that? All right, God bless you. God bless you and you. Uh, I know sometimes that, that is very difficult. Uh, but I want you guys to imagine here that Jesus has built the new Tappan Zee Bridge. All right? So there we go. We see the gap. And we're also crossing, trying to cross Tappan Zee Bridge because we're trying to get to Jesus because he is the ultimate reality and because he is God. And then on top of that, Jesus is a, an Uber driver, and he has paid your way to cross that bridge. He's paid the gas, and he's even gone so far that he, uh, that he paid the easy pass, which is getting really high now. And in a couple of years, it's going to be very high to cross the Tappan Zee Bridge. I'm not really looking forward to that at all. Uh, but anyway, you guys tracking with me? All right, good. Uh, let's move on, and I want to, to look at this next point. And this next point is, is that Jesus came not to give us religion, but this new covenantal relationship that he wants to have with you and I. Um, and as we look at Christian, Christianity, again, we realize that it's not about religion, but that Jesus came to bring about a person. Uh, and Jesus, you know, paid that price at infinite cost to himself. And so I want to look real quick at Hebrews 8 through 10, and the second half of the chapter in Hebrews 8, uh, 
what's unique to it is that the writer here is actually quoting the Old Testament. He's actually quoting Jeremiah 31 here. Uh, but this is, this is what it says. And I want you guys to look because we constantly see this, this word repeating here and uh, the covenant. It keeps coming up. So it says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the days when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, in looking at this, I think the first thing we need to to recognize and understand is this idea of what is a covenant? Uh, What is a covenant? And once again, there's a lot of different uh, biblical definitions of a covenant, and there's a lot of different aspects to it. And right now, I just want to look at the kind of the most basic form of what a covenant is. And a covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. Um, an example of this, you know, one kind is human covenants. And it's the idea of human covenants. We see this regularly, you know, through marriage. Um, yesterday was amazing. We actually had a uh, Ed and Debbie Jersey, who were in our church yesterday, I got to help officiate them renewing their vows together here in the church. And it was such a beautiful, beautiful time. But uh, that's just, that's a clear example of a human covenant. But then there's also divine covenants. And a divine covenant is a covenant that God establishes uh, between himself and between his creation. And we constantly see this happening throughout the scripture when we see covenants between David, uh, Moses, uh, Abraham, and even Jesus. Now, when we look at people, and we look at our culture today, I think that this is one of the difficulties that we, we face, this idea of covenant. Now, look at what uh, is at the bottom of the slide. And this is such a huge aspect of, of every covenant, I believe, and needs to be, and that a covenant relationship is totally binding and totally intimate, that it is a totally committed relationship And at the same time, there's intimacy. And those two are happening simultaneously at the same time, you know. Uh, You can't have one without without the other. Uh, It doesn't go so well. And so one of the problems we're seeing today in our culture is that we see people that are constantly, what they're longing for is intimacy, right? And what, what winds up happening is that they go to one person, but they're not willing to commit. They're not willing to bind themselves to another person and say, listen, I'm committed to you and to you alone. And so what winds up happening is we see them start to have intimacy or they, they want to try to have intimacy, but they don't actually experience true and authentic and deep intimacy because they're so focused on their own independence and their own needs and their own wants. Uh, and so what's going on is we constantly see this repeating effect happening in our generation where there are these people that are, you know, going from one person to another person to another person. Um, let's, for example, say that there's two people and they want to try to have uh, a relationship. And it could be a friendship. It could be a marriage, uh, dating relationship. But they're starting out and they say to each other, listen, I will be what I should be as long as you are what you should be. I will be what I should be as long as you are what you should be. Hopefully you guys are following that. You know, this kind of relationship 
doesn't last. You can't have intimacy in this kind of relationship because it winds up being like a contract between two people. It winds up being more of a business deal than a real relationship because uh, they're not willing to commit. They're not willing to be bound to each other. Now let's say, for example, those same two people instead say, listen, uh, I'm going to be who I should be to you no matter what, even if you fail me. I'm going to be faithful to you even if you fail me, no matter what happens. You see, in this kind of committed, in this kind of binding relationship, this is a place where there can be true intimacy. This is a place where there can be trust that's established. This is a place where people can actually be vulnerable and say, you know, this is how I feel. This is what I'm going through. These are the difficulties that I'm facing. And the reason is that it's safe, you know. It's a a trusting place. Uh, And only in the extent that you're willing and that I'm willing to give up our independence, can we have the freedom of an intimate relationship? Amen? This is the idea that's behind a biblical covenant. So let's move on here, and I want us to look at uh, a couple of the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant uh, that we see in the Scripture. Now, looking back at verse 9 of chapter 8 in the old covenant, now real quick, the old covenant there's a lot of marks of religion. Uh, it's not all totally religious, but there's a lot of marks in the Old Covenant that are a religion. And uh, when we look at verse 9, it says, For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. And what this is saying is that Israel did not remain faithful to God, and so God turned away from them. So what's going on here is they're sinning. You know, the Israelites keep messing up. They're sinning. And God says, I can't look at your sins, so I'm turning away from you. I gotta, I, my presence is leaving you. Uh, this is religious because it's, it's a conditional agreement. Um, and I think that even, even as Christians, we constantly wrestle with the old covenant and religion in our own lives. Uh, we see this, you know, maybe we, we go to church. Maybe we're faithful and we're like, hey, I go to church. I tithe. I give. I, you know, I worship. I do everything I'm supposed to do. God, you know, I'll remain, I'm, you know, I'm going to be who I should be as long as you're going to be who you should be. You know, you should give me a good relationship. God, you should give me that house that I've been wanting for a long time. God, you should give me that car that I need, that I want. Uh, you know, and, and this is something I think that we wrestle with. Uh, another example, I think, is we even compare ourselves and we look to our neighbors, you know. We look at our neighbors and we're like, look at them. Why do they have all this stuff? Why does everything work out for them? Why are things good for them? They're not even Christians. What, what's the deal with that? Uh, and, and guys, this is the old covenant. This is religion that we're seeing time and time again. And I remember even as a kid, I wrestled with understanding, uh, having, you know, good, healthy theology of what a new covenant is. Uh, when I was young, I, I went to this youth group, and I was on fire for God. I started getting excited about following God, and uh, I remember every night in 10th grade, uh, my whole family would go to sleep, and what I would do is I would open up, you know, I'd open up my Bible, and I just started reading the Word of God, and I'd spend 15 or 20 minutes in His Word, and if I missed a night or something came up, like I had a ton of homework or a lot going on, if I missed one or two nights, uh, what wound up happening <laughs> is that uh, I would just feel this immense guilt 
I would feel like, oh, man, I'm so unworthy, God, to be before you, you know? And I, I thought God was up there going, oh, man, you read tonight? Good job. You know, I'm going to be faithful to you. Didn't read tonight? Bad job. You know, I'm not going to bless you today. Uh, and it was just this, like, terrible idea of religion. And I totally didn't understand that not only did Jesus die for my sins, but he came to set me free from religion. He came to set me free from this old covenant uh, and having a new covenantal relationship with him. So let's look at this idea of a new covenant. Uh, We look at verse 12. It says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. See, in the new covenant, God sees us and he turns his face away from our sin, but he still sees us. See the difference between the old and the new covenant? The old covenant Jesus sees their sin and he turns away from them. But in the new covenant, you know, Jesus turns his face from our sins, but he still sees us. And then it goes even a step farther here where it says that I will remember their sins no more. That he's not even going to remember the sins uh, that we've had and that we've been going through. Uh, This is so huge and so important for us, guys. Um, I want to share an example um, a lot of you know my wife, uh, my wife Kara, and we've been married for nine years almost. The other day I almost said ten years. And just as some advice, uh, don't mess up your anniversary. It's not a, not a good thing to do. <laughs> but anyway, on a more serious note, I actually didn't want to share this story because um, I sometimes get emotional in this story. But uh, about six years ago, my wife uh, wound up getting pregnant by me, and, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was honestly really scared at first, because I was like, oh man, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but, um, you know, I started to get really excited about the idea of us having a child, and having a baby, and, you know, having a son or daughter, um, and a few months as we got into this, uh, as we got into this pregnancy, we were actually, it was Christmas Day, so I was visiting my family, and we were in Long Island together. Um, and while we're there, uh, it's like one or two in the morning, and my wife starts bleeding a lot. And I don't want to be too graphic, but, you know, she kept bleeding. And it was just this uh, immediate, you know, immediately just being terrified, scared, not knowing what was going to happen, what was going to go on. And so, you know, two in the morning, here we are, we're driving to the emergency room, and we're just crying, and, you know, we don't know if there's, if there's life or not anymore, or what's going on, and uh, what winds up happening is uh, we get to the hospital, and we finally get into a room after which seems to take forever, and we're just sitting there holding each other, you know, and crying, and we're praying for God to bring healing, and uh, the doctor comes in and says, listen, we don't know if the fetus is alive or not, if you're having a miscarriage, uh, we don't know what's going on. And so the doctor said, I'm going to go get an ultrasound machine, and we're going to be able to see, you know, if the baby's heart beats there uh, and the baby's still alive. And, you know, in that moment of just being, like, totally terrified and scared and not knowing what was going to happen, my wife goes, Ryan, we need, we need to pray. And uh, she goes, she's like, God, no matter what happens, your will be done. No matter what happens, your will be done. God, I trust you, whether there's life or whether there's death. 
You see, this is a covenantal kind of relationship, and this is one of the most beautiful moments in my entire life of seeing the intimacy and this binding relationship between my wife and her creator that loves her. And in that moment of her greatest need and of uncertainty, uh, she's saying, God, your will be done. Your will be done. See, this is totally different than the old covenant. This is a new covenantal relationship and intimacy that God has with us. I don't want to leave you guys hanging for so long. So uh, praise God that uh, eventually, after some time, the bleeding stopped. And we remember sitting there and just watching that heartbeat and seeing it. And, and today, my son Shane, he's five and a half years old. He wants to be five and a half, and he's alive. So praise God. Uh, but this morning, my, my question is for you. Uh, you know, are you, do you wrestle with this idea of religion in your own life? Maybe you come from a different faith background, uh, and you've really wrestled through uh, understanding what it means to have a new covenantal relationship with God. Or maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. Maybe you've been, come from a Christian home, kind of like me, and you still wrestle with understanding, you know, what, is this religion? Is this not religion? Um, and, and if you're wrestling with that this morning and, and you start to focus on, you know, your own needs and your own wants that are going on, my question for you this morning is, have you looked to the cross recently? Have you looked at Jesus recently? This whole text is constantly saying, you know, fix your eyes upon Jesus. And when we do that, it's amazing because, you know, we start to lose sight of all those problems when we realize what it cost him. You see, Jesus... When he died, he not only nailed himself and bound himself to the cross, but he bound himself to you and I so that this way that bridge, you know, that gap could be crossed. And he came and he reached over that gap to you and I so that we could have new relationship with him. And, you know, he's there through it all and in the end. Uh, it's not just at the end we get God. We get him now. Uh, scripture says we get to have life to the full. And that doesn't mean just in eternity, but now, right, you know, as well. Um, so this last, last thing I wanted to really look at is how do you know if you're in this new covenantal relationship and not operating in the old covenant? And this, this text gives us a really, really great insight into that. And there's a few different um, sections I want to look at. But the first one is intimacy with God. Uh, it says in verse 11, for they shall all know me. It doesn't say some, it says they shall all know me. And uh, the first mark is that there's intimacy with God. Have, do you have intimacy with God? I mean, I know a lot of us know a lot about God. We know his word. Uh, you know, maybe we say some nice prayers to him sometimes. But, but do you have real intimacy with God in your life? Um, you know, I grew up a long time, and I didn't, I didn't know totally what it meant to have such a deep, intimate relationship and a binding relationship with God uh, until I got to college. And I was going to Nia College, and... Uh, I was taking this uh, divine healing class, and simultaneously I was uh, dating this girl. And, you know, I just loved this girl so much, made her everything. And God said, Ryan, I'm a jealous God. I need to be first in your life. And so I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was getting ready to break up with this girl, and I'm sitting in my divine healing class, and they had these breakout prayer sessions and times at the end of class, and I'm sitting there in this prayer time, and I'm like, guys, you know, there's a bunch of guys there. I'm like, I need you guys to pray for me. You know, this is like the worst thing I'm ever going to do. I don't want to do it, but I know I need to do it. Um, 
And what wound up happening is as they started to pray, just the presence of God came over me. And even though I was so sad, I all of a sudden was filled with unexplainable joy. I was just felt like I was radiating joy in the entire room. I couldn't stop smiling. Like I tried to control it. I tried hiding, you know, behind my hands. And just the presence of God came on me in so much power that it literally transformed my life in a few minutes. Because in that moment, I realized there's nothing more that I want in life than this, you know. And I spent, you know, I just started going after God hard after that because I realized once I tasted, you know, it, it wasn't enough. I wanted more. I wanted more of him and what he had for me. So intimacy is the first mark. The second one is equality. It says from the least to the greatest. And my question is, do you operate in equality in your heart? Do you have equality for those around you, for the people around you? Do you wrestle with racism? Do you wrestle with putting different people on platforms higher than other people? Uh, The new covenant says it's equality from the least to the greatest you know, all will know God. All will have relationship with him. Um, one of my, my, what a great passage, Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. And the last mark uh, that this text shows us is that uh, community rather than individualism. It says they will all be my people. It doesn't say be my person. It says you will all be my people. Uh, God is creating, you know, a new body of believers, and it's not based on, you know, ethnicity or race. It's based on relationship with him and this new covenant, uh, and one of the most amazing things about, you, about community is the more that you grow in this intimacy and binding relationship with God, what winds up happening is you stop staring at your belly button so much. You stop worrying about your own concerns so much. And what winds up happening is he starts filling you with his compassion and with his heart. And what you start realizing is that there are people around you that need to be loved. There are people around you that need to encounter this new covenantal relationship and this love relationship. And uh, what a beautiful thing that is. It's about community, not about individuality. And so this morning, um, I believe that there's, there's a couple of us here that, that are maybe wrestling with uh, this idea of, uh, you know, having this new covenantal relationship. And so this morning, would you stand up with me? I wanted us to, uh, to have a time of prayer. And I just uh, sense his presence so strong here. And I, I think that he wants to set some of us free this morning from religion and religiosity in our lives. And I think that... Uh, if you're willing to enter into that this morning, that, uh, that he is something special for you and I. Father, right now we, we exalt the name of Jesus in this place. We declare that Jesus is lifted high and Jesus is exalted. And even right now we fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, I ask that right now your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to show us the areas uh, that we've been operating in religion, the areas that we've been operating in the old covenant. Lord, you've already paid for this through your son. It cost you everything. You reached over the gap to each one of us. So Holy Spirit, would you show right now the areas?
Father, we come right now and we reject uh, the lies of the old covenant. We reject religiosity right now. We declare that we are people of the new covenant, that we've been seated with Christ in heaven. You say who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we declare that this morning, that you set us free 2,000 years ago, that we no longer need to live under this old law, but that we live under this new relationship, Father. Come bring your freedom now, I pray for my friends, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would give just a a fresh vision of yourself to each person in this room. Come, King Jesus. Come, eternal priest Jesus. Come reveal yourself in this place. through this day and even this week that our eyes would be fixed on you that we would uh, we would remember that we're people of the new covenant that's all been paid for and we don't need to operate out of guilt anymore Father we love you we declare you are good and you are faithful even when we're not faithful you're always faithful thank you Lord thank you in Jesus name we pray amen Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. Uh, If you guys want to pray with someone, there's people in the front. You can come forward to get prayer. Uh, God bless you.